You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, trade and technology, politics, security, and a lot more. I'm Jeff Rathke, president of the American German Institute at Johns Hopkins University. Welcome, everybody. Uh, I'm Dr. Eric Langenbacher, a senior fellow and the director of the Society, Culture, and Politics program at the American Institute, American German Institute. I almost said American Institute for Contemporary German Studies, which is, of course, what we were for about 40 years. Uh, and uh, today we're having another podcast with a person very important for the mission of the Institute over the decades. This is our 40th anniversary year, so we're trying to have some conversations with folks to think a little bit more about where AGI was, where we are now, and where we might be going in the future with our various activities. And today's guest is Alexander Privatera, who's currently a geoeconomics non-resident fellow at AGI. He's a columnist at Brink News and a professor at Marconi University. Uh, previously, he was a senior policy advisor at the European Banking Federation and was the head of European affairs at Commerzbank. He focuses primarily on Germany's European policies and their impact on relations between the US and Europe. Uh, previously, uh, Alex was the Washington-based correspondent for the leading German news channel N24. And as a journalist over the past two decades, he's been all over the place in Berlin, Bonn, Brussels, Rome, and then of course, Washington, DC. Uh, he was born in Rome, and he has a degree in political science from La Sapienza University uh, in that in the Eternal City. So welcome, Alex. Thank you, Eric, for that very kind uh, introduction. I'm very honored to be with you. So uh, first off, it would be great if you could describe your role at AICGS. Uh, well, now you're a non-resident fellow, but when you were uh, part of the AICGS or AGI family, what was your role? What were your duties? Uh, what were your activities? So at the time, I, I was asked by uh, Jack Jaynes, the, the previous president of AGI slash AICGS, uh, to, uh, to lead a sort of nascent project, which was uh, the business and economics uh, program, which is, I believe, now called geoeconomics uh, program. Uh, and, the, and the reason for that was very simple at the time. Um, it was just uh, after uh, the great financial crisis of 2008, um, we got together, we started discussing various options, what made sense. And, uh, and at the time, it, it, it became sort of uh, clear, it was evident uh, that Germany would, uh, would be playing a pivotal role in managing the crisis on the European side, and that uh, how Germany would manage the crisis on the European side would have some significant repercussions on the transatlantic space and the relations with the US in particular. So that, that's basically, uh, you know, in a way, the, the reason why, uh, why we started the program. And, uh, and I sort of quickly started focusing, because of the crisis, because of the Euro crisis at the time, uh, on, on all aspects that had to do uh, with the financial sector, the structure of the financial sector, the vulnerabilities, and of course, the, the so-called sovereign debt crisis that enveloped the euro area uh, for a number of years and was, uh, was basically 
terminated with the famous uh, sentence by uh, then president of the ECB, Mario Draghi, uh, in 2015. So it was a, a sort of a long period of crisis time. And, uh, and if, you, if you look you know, at the headlines today, obviously that sort of challenge is no longer there, at least for, uh, for now. Uh, but uh, we are facing similar challenges uh, on the economic front that have sort of deep strategic implications. So that's, uh, that's a bit sort of uh, the, the, the reason why we started everything. And, and, and the history, unfortunately, uh, is, uh, is sort of proving that, you know, it, it was right to focus on those things. And uh, when did you leave uh, that position at AICGS? So I left the position at AICGS uh, in 2015. Uh, for a year, I went on to, uh, to lead another think tank in, in, in DC um, uh, that had a sort of even more sort of European focus. And then I transitioned to Brussels in 2016. But I stayed in close contact with the Institute uh, uh, since. And, uh, and I still am, uh, and I'm still proud uh, of being, you know, part of the larger family. Well, I mean, th that, that answers kind of my next question, which was, you know, <laughs> what were the big issues that you dealt with during your tenure at, at AICGS? And, you know, that was um, a very rocky period. Uh, you know, we have memories of just how long the Euro crisis persisted, and that, that seems to have been the, the major kind of focus of, of your time. But, you know... Yeah. Maybe we can maybe we can pivot just a little bit, or even delve a little bit more deeply into that. You know, when yeah. when, when I mean, you're right that, that that people haven't talked about the euro in crisis the way that we did ten years ago, or or seven or eight years ago. But you also every once in a while hear some reports about, eh, well, things are not truly solved, and there could be a return of that kind of instability. Uh, do you think that that's the case? Are there are there any uh, dangerous signals that we should be looking for? <laughs> there are always dangerous signals, Eric, you know, and, uh, and the, the, the question is always, um, do the signals, uh, if they're based on facts, then evolve into something else that could reach crisis points? So I think that the, the story of, uh, in a way of both, you know, both jurisdictions, both the U.S., uh, and, and, and Europe, um, with the U.S. being a bit more settled, of course, because it's been, you know, a nation state for, <laughs> for more than 200 years now. And despite some sort of recent political issues, uh, you know, is, is clearly has a sort of uh, has settled ways of dealing with challenges and can act and has proven uh, to be very able to act quickly when needed. And on the European side, on in the European jurisdiction, of course, we are not, you know, a nation state. You know, we are not. Uh, we don't have a central government. Uh, we don't have a central fiscal capacity. So we tend to deal with challenges in a slightly more cumbersome way, which doesn't mean that we are unable to deal with them. But sometimes the sort of timing issues uh, sort of exacerbate our vulnerabilities. And make us appear on the European side. You know, I'm talking as a European now. Make us appear, uh, you know, uh, out of step with uh, with the challenges of of our times, and, pay, and possibly unable uh, uh, to to deal with them. I, I can't resist a, a, a follow up question on this because you you just know this stuff so well. 
you know, I remember back uh, when the worst of the Euro crisis was happening and everybody looked to Germany. I mean, yes, I understand uh, the ECB and the European level, but everybody thought that Germany was a pivotal player. And it was. That, and that Merkel, you know, who was obviously in charge, was, was driving policy. And then I also remember, especially on this side of the Atlantic, there was quite a bit of criticism of her policy decisions, her approach towards the whole thing. If you go back and look at some of Paul Krugman's columns in the New York Times, I mean, they were pretty bad. So looking back, do you think that, you know, Merkel did the right thing? That Merkel, because, you know, the, the criticism was always not enough, not enough, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, 10 years later, how do you reflect on that tumultuous period? Uh, look, I, I don't want to be the wise guy who now, with the benefit of hindsight, uh, sort of judges on, on a very long tenure of the chancellor, uh, which I have, uh, although sometimes obliquely, uh, criticized exactly for that reason. Uh, and the reason being, we had our chances uh, to use the crisis, you know, the sort of famous saying of never waste a good crisis. Um, to accelerate the process of uh, integration and therefore of strengthening uh, the European Union, the Euro area in particular, uh, which is also in the interest of the US, by the way, because that's, that's, you know, when you want a strong partner to be on your side, you don't want that strong partner to have sort of so many internal quarrels all the time that it's slow to act or sometimes unable to act. So, you know, the argument was always she could have done more. She could have used some of the instances in the crisis to do more. Uh, that's, that's the criticism. On the other hand, on the, let's say, on the asset sides rather than the liability side, she had very clear in her mind that she didn't want the shop to break up, you know, and so she did everything that was necessary to prevent that from happening, which per se is also is already a sort of big achievement because it could have uh, gone wrong and massively wrong at various points uh, throughout the crisis. And, uh, and another point that, uh, that is uh, very important to remember is that when COVID hit, some of the lessons of the previous years uh, sort of allowed her uh, to uh, be much more um, straightforward and, and strong in her sort of response to the crisis by allowing uh, a recovery fund, the famous next generation EU fund, uh, to, uh, to come on the scene and to provide uh, the financial support that some of the hardest hit countries during the COVID crisis needed to get back on their, on their feet. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely... Uh, you know, a mixed, a mixed, um, let's say, legacy that, that, that she has left behind uh, on Europe, on European integration, but of course, on many other fronts as well, which, you know, with the benefit of hindsight, now appear in a sort of, uh, uh, in a gray shade, uh, if not, if not, uh, uh, you know, uh, outright criticism, just, you know, like the, like the relationship to Russia. But let's not forget that she responded to what the Germans ultimately wanted. So she probably wasn't uh, such a strong leader in the sense that uh, she took the country somewhere else, but she didn't do, do things that were uh, sort of uh, 
they were not backed by the majority of the of the German of the German population at the time, including the very counterproductive relationship to Russia. Well, why don't we look forward for a second? We've already kind of talked about the past, the present. What do you think are the big issues that we should be tracking, that we should be analyzing uh, going forward to understand the kind of transatlantic relationship, especially the transatlantic economic relationship? So, it, it, you know, say so my view, I, I think this, you know, I'm not, I'm not the only one, uh, you know, having some sort of concerns about, uh, about this period of time, uh, especially when it comes to Germany. Germany has um, probably bigger challenges than in the past, uh, because it's not just the outright uh, response to, to everything that has been triggered because of the Ukraine war that is sort of testing, uh, testing Germany. Uh, it's also, you know, there are also sort of philosophical implications. So a certain way of dealing with challenges, with economic challenges, you know, openness. You know, Germany had a hard time sort of uh, opening its own economy in the late 90s, early 2000s. It became a champion, uh, a belated champion of, of globalization. And it's now witnessing how globalization is, is turning inwards, is partially fragmenting. Uh, or, it's, or there is at least, at the very least, the sort of recalibration of uh, globalization taking place. And, uh, and Germany finds itself uh, in, in between a rock and a hard place, you know, and, uh, and it's not really clear how it will deal with it. So, you know, just to give you an example, I mean, and the sort of, let's say, more purists or order liberal way of dealing with economic challenges, uh, which is the sort of the old fashioned sort of German way. You know, you just stick to a set of rules. You know, there's competition. You know, there is uh, there is fair competition. Uh, there is an intervention by the government to make sure that the rules of the game are, 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 are you know are kept in place and are respected. But there is no outright sort of intervention in trying to steer the economy in one direction or the other. Well, we find ourselves in a completely different environment now, and this has started with COVID, but is clearly going on. Is still going on and, and will be with us for the foreseeable future, which is state intervention in the economy. How much of it uh, and, and how do you do it in an efficient way? Um, and, uh, and, and the state intervention in the economy is due to two factors. Two it's because of the fragmentation that we talked about before and, and trying not to, you know, trying to respond to, let's say, to the Chinese challenge by using some of the Chinese tools, in a way, not to find yourself at a competitive disadvantage. And the other big overall, you know, overarching challenge is the greening of our respective economies and how best to accelerate that greening without jeopardizing your sort of socioeconomic fabric. Daunting challenges indeed. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, I'd like yes. to kind of like turn back um, and 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 talk a little bit more about your time at AICGS. Uh, what were some of your fondest memories or your most impactful interactions from your time at AGI? So the fondest memories are some of the more successful uh, sort of uh, dinners, uh, awardship uh, dinners that we had that we had in in New York. 
and a tradition that uh, I believe will will be with AICGS uh, for for a very long time, uh, which was always an occasion where we had content during the day, you know, with the symposium, with uh, with exchanges, with people that uh, finally joined us from all over the place, um, you know, and and then sort of celebrated uh, AICGS you know, at the time, or AGI uh, in, in the evening. And, uh, and you know, and, and, some, and some of those, some of those uh, evenings were truly special, uh, I think. And, uh, and I always remember, you know, how Jack, you know, our previous president, uh, went into, into, these, into these evenings, worked so hard to line up uh, everything that was necessary to make those evenings a success, and then could sort of... Uh, you know, sort of with a sigh of relief, sort of look back on the day or on the, on the night and said, well, we did it again. And tomorrow we're going to start doing the work that needs to be done for the next one. And uh, it's, it's, it's just a, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a very nice, it's a very nice memory. Uh, and then um, the fact that um, it's a very closely knit team, you know, I believe it probably still is, uh, to this day, there's a spirit. There's a uh, there's a team spirit that uh, you don't find in many places, and AGI has it. and uh, And working with the colleagues was always a great pleasure. Well, I, I couldn't agree more with you about how fabulous our Glad what is that Global Leadership Award dinner event actually is. Uh, this year's was as spectacular as ever, but for me, it was a little bit more special. Because I recently found out that, you know, the current HBO hit show called Succession, they actually filmed a whole episode at the place where we do the fundraising um, gala. So it was, you know, extra special to be able to kind of share that moment vicariously with this awesome TV show. Well, I just have, you know, one question uh, left. And, um, you know, it flows very nicely from your last point about the wonderful team and sense of camaraderie that we have at AGI. And that is, in your opinion, what do you see as the role and the value added from AICGS in the uh, earlier years? How do you think this role has changed? And what do you think AGI's role will be going forward? So I think uh, when it was called AICGS um, in the 80s, in the 90s, um, in probably in the first decades of, of the 21st century, um, it was obviously a sort of more, it was a think tank that was more focused on the bilateral relationship between Germany and the US. And it was also a think tank that was more or almost exclusively focused on the issues that you deal with and on pure sort of bread and butter foreign policy and security issues. Uh, that has changed, I think, uh, has changed um, when I joined, not because I joined, but, you know, it just coincided with that time. Um, and, and I think uh, this will uh, be a dominant factor in the future as well. So two things. First of all, the bilateral relationship has morphed into something bigger. It's more understanding Germany's role within the European context, what it can do, what it cannot do. Is it, as Merkel was in a way, yes, both things, an impediment and an, an accelerator 
you know, where are where are German positions having an impact on European, uh, on European, not only integration, but on European policies? And how do those policies really affect the transatlantic space? Um, so that has been an addition to the sort of traditional core uh, function of, of AICGS. And then together with that, I think the whole geoeconomic space, um, which we cannot disentangle from security and foreign policy issues anymore, and, the, and pretending that those two don't, uh, don't have a lot of uh, uh, contact points uh, would, be, would be a strategic mistake, I think. And, uh, you know, I believe that, you know, a AGI is doing it already. Uh, I believe that this will be a sort of central feature in the future as well uh, for AGI and, you know, and this sort of this space between geoeconomics and strategic issues or sort of security issues uh, will have to be taken into account, I suspect, by many other think tanks as well. Again, I couldn't have put it better myself. I mean, uh, one of the other uh, uh, areas that we've moved into is looking at the role of China. Right, not just vis-a-vis um, uh, -vis Germany, but vis-a-vis -vis the transatlantic relationship, the larger geoeconomic uh, European space. So um, I think that's a that's a great observation that that really encapsulates how the institute has evolved. You know, I would also add that um, you know Germany will remain one of the largest economies in the world for quite some time. Germany will will certainly remain the largest economy and country in the European space. So I think that. That having expertise and uh, uh, an analytical emphasis on uh, Germany and the German-American relationship connects us to all these other kind of discourses and important um, uh, uh, things that are going on as well, not just in the economic realm, but like you said, in the foreign and security policy realm, as well as in the political and cultural realm, which of course is yep. my purview too. Yep, I, also, I, I also think, by the way, that this is just my own kind of um, observation, but you know, as intensive as the relationship has been, as many interactions as there are between Americans and Germans, Europeans more generally, I still think that sometimes we don't quite understand each other. And so I also see that one of our roles has always been and will continue to be creating networks, creating spaces where people can better understand uh, the other partners, where they're coming from, how realities are different or the same, uh, and things like that. So I think we're almost out of time, but Alex, do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share? Yes, uh, just one final thought. Um, it's extremely important what you say. Um, it's extremely important to, you know, to look at the issues, the challenges, the problems that, uh, that we share, you know. But that then, uh, you know, as uh, someone at ASCGS at the time noted in one of our many meetings, we should look at the problems, but then not admire the problems. We should come up with solutions, with, uh, with, uh, with proposals about how to approach some of these challenges. And I think that's where SEGS can really make a difference because it has those elements in its DNA. So, you know, SEGS or AGI, sorry, AGI doesn't have to pretend to be something. It is a certain thing. And it, it, it will and it will build on that. And that's that's going to be a competitive advantage, I think, uh, especially when it comes to this, you know, to this topic, to, to seeing these these problems through these sort of German-American lens. 
Well, thank you for those uh, final thoughts and for taking the time to speak with us today. And to everybody listening, uh, this is part of our 40th anniversary series here at the American German Institute. Uh, please stay tuned for more reflections from important figures that have helped to build what AGI is today. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast produced by the American German Institute at Johns Hopkins University. You may know us under our old name, the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies. Send us your feedback by email at info at AICGS.org or on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, where we have new handles at A-M-G-E-R-I-N-S-T. And also please visit our website at AmericanGerman.Institute, formerly AICGS, and we'll look forward to seeing you there. Thanks. Thanks.